bucket list is a list of things that you want to do before you die, you know, before you kick the bucket. In researching this week, I found there are actually websites that give examples of things to add to your bucket list. For example, you may want to check this out. Bucketlist.org provides 10,000 such suggestions. Bucket lists usually contain, you know, extreme events, extreme sports, perhaps exotic places to travel. So, for example, your list may include skydiving, scuba diving, bungee jumping, visiting Thailand or China, Australia or New Zealand, or maybe going on an African safari. Most of those things are on my list. Now, I did find a couple of funny things to add, like run into a store and yell, what year is it? And when someone answers, yell, it worked, and run out cheering. Or, now that's pretty funny, fill a Windex bottle, fill a Windex bottle with blue Gatorade and walk around drinking it. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure that's bucket list worthy, but it's pretty funny. So some of the, some of those extreme things on the list um, may take lots of guts. It may require some help as this video demonstrates. You know it's going to be scary, but you know you're going to be okay, and that's all that matters, that you will be okay. <laughs> you know, most girlfriends don't have to have this talk with their boyfriends. <laughs> okay. It's all you, honey. Don't leave yet. Okay. Uh, you don't have to jump if you don't want to. I don't know if I want to. But you know this will be the coolest single experience of your life. I know, this is also the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Alright, here we go! Oh no, Devin! Not yet! Oh, you have to respect the countdown. Five! I'm not gonna jump. I don't know if I can jump. I'll count down to zero. If you choose not to jump, I'm totally fine with you not this. jumping. Five! Four! Three! Two! One! Zero! Come on, honey, you can! You can! You are so hardcore! You are so hardcore! Four! Three! Two! One! Zero! I can do this. Kenny, I, I don't think I can do it. Three! Two! One! Zero! I can't do it. Okay. Two! One! Zero! I can't do it. You can! You can! You can! You can! Two! One! Zero! Two, one, zero! I can't do it. Two, one, zero! I don't even want to jump. Two, one, zero! I don't want to do it. Three, two, one, zero. I don't want to do it. Put the other hand on the rope. No, I don't. Take six inch step to the right. Just start right there on the edge, just like that. Honey, I don't want to do it. Put the two hands on the rope. No, I love you, right? No, please don't push me off. Please I'm don't. Right. I am not. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to push you. But if you stand here for more than 10 more seconds, I will. <laughs> Three, two, one. 
to? Let me give you some additional information about that video. First of all, that's a 400-foot rope. The girl had been standing there trying to jump for 45 minutes. She had told him at the beginning of this exercise that he might need to push her off, and finally they did break up. <laughs> about a month later, she swears it had nothing to do with him pushing her. Now, listen, with my bucket list, one day Kenny Isaacs is going to take me skydiving, and he will very likely have to push me out of the plane. I promise not to break up, however. <laughs> so, what is on your bucket list? How many, how many of you would do that? Really? Yeah. Yeah, right. It's easy while you're sitting on the ground. What's on your bucket list? What are, right now, I want you to think of what are one or two things uh, on, on your list that you want to do before you die? Got it? Now turn to the person next to you and tell them what it is. Make yourself accountable. One or two things. Right now, tell someone next to you. All right. I said one or two things. Not the whole list. All right, so here's the question. What is, what's on your... What's on your list? I want to suggest that Paul had a bucket list with one thing. And we read about it in our text today in our ongoing study of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, I'm actually going to start back in verse 7 to make sure that we catch his flow of thought. We looked at that last week. You'll remember that he began Philippians chapter 3 warning the church there about some false teachers who were suggesting that you needed to add good works, you know, from the law of Moses, uh, to your religious resumes in order to be saved. They were saying, you know, Jesus is good, you need to believe in him, but he's not quite good enough for your eternal salvation. You've got to add some things like circumcision and following some Sabbath rules in order to be acceptable to God. So, so Paul said, now listen, if you want to compare lists, take this uh, resume on for size. Remember, we talked about resume, religious resumes. In verses 5 and 6, he gave a list of his own religious accomplishments. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to uh, zeal, I persecuted the church. As to the righteousness of the law... Blameless. I mean, that's a, that's a fairly impressive list. And then from there, he switched to accounting language. Remember that? Credits, debits, gains, losses. And, and, and Paul tells us what he thinks of this particular list, of all of these religious credits. Uh, look at it with me, starting in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, whatever's on that list... Those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. 
I, I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Last week, Paul said, listen, there's only one thing on the credit side of my religious ledger. Uh, one thing on my religious balance sheet, and that is to know Christ intimately. That's it for me. And, and this personal knowledge, he said, comes especially in two ways. First, through the power of God demonstrated in resurrection. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, yes, great power there, but also the, the resurrection, your resurrection from spiritual death to spiritual life. It is growing in this knowledge of, of God's power, the very power that, that raises people to life. And Paul actually addressed this in an earlier book in Ephesians chapter 1. He said this, writing to the church, he says, I pray that, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want you to know these three things. First, I want you to know uh, what is the hope of his calling. Secondly, I want you to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And thirdly, here, listen, this is what I want you to know. I, I want you to know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. This power is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I, I want your hearts to be enlightened so that you would know that power of God, that power that is at work in you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And now he says to the Philippians, it's the power of God that brings life from dead things. It's the power of God that's at work in believers. I want you to grow in that. We also saw last week that we grow in the knowledge of Christ and the, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Interesting words. The, 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 the sacred, divinely ordained path to an ever-increasing and ever-widening knowledge of Christ is through suffering. Suffering, you see, is part of the Christian life. Now, last week, uh, Ed Pilkington rightly pointed out that, that, that I kind of made it sound like that suffering was really bad, you know, that we, we kind of walk around bearing in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus, woe is me, but hey, that's okay, I get knowledge of Christ as the consolation prize. No. Let's remember that in the midst of suffering, we find great joy. Paul is writing this letter to this church from Philippi, where, I mean from prison, where he has been in prison for up to four years now. And, and yet we find that a thread running through this book is joy. He, he began this very chapter with the command, rejoice in the Lord. He's going to repeat it in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will, I will say it, rejoice. He's going to talk later in, in chapter 4 about, about contentment in the midst of his own very miserable circumstances. Back in chapter 1, he talked, about, he talked about potential martyrdom, and he talked about it as gain. 
Because then he see, you see, he gets Christ. And even through this whole section in chapter 3, there is a strong undercurrent of joy. Because he says, I am pursuing right now, even in the midst of these sufferings, I am pursuing the greatest thing in the universe, and that is the knowledge of our great Christ. Suffering, you see, brings us into a deeper and wider intimate fellowship with him. We get to understand him better. Great joy. Now, in this, in this third chapter of Philippians, Paul is actually kind of giving his own personal testimony. Now, if you're new to Christianity, a testimony is when you give your life story. You kind of f focus a little on your past life of, of sin because that highlights your need of a Savior. And then you talk about how Jesus became your Savior through his gospel, through his death and, and resurrection. And you experienced the, uh, the, the joy-filled, glorious forgiveness of sins. So, so typically, again, this testimony um, starts at some point in the past and takes you through to the present. And that's what Paul actually did in verses 4 to 11. But then this morning he takes us past the present and gives us a future look. He says, this is what I want more than anything in the world. In the future, there is a very specific goal that I want to reach. And he actually transitions from, from that accounting language that we looked at last week to, to the language of athletic contests. Think extreme sports, specifically an athletic race. So we're going to go from resumes to accounting to, to athletic contest today. Look at the text with me, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and following say. Now, he just said, I, listen, I want to know him. I want to know the power of resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of suffering. I want to be conformed uh, to his death. I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. But now listen, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the singular goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will also reveal that to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Did, did, did you see the, the, the one thing on Paul's very long bucket list? Right, right there in verses 13 and 14, he had one thing that he wanted to do before he finally kicked the bucket. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lots of words there. We'll talk about what all that means in a minute. But listen, listen, everybody listen up. Here is my goal. Here is my goal for us this morning. That whatever is on your bucket list, by the end of our time together, you will add one more item 
And I want you to place it at the very top of the list that you would strive for the ultimate goal of knowing Jesus Christ who is of surpassing value. That you would pursue an ever-deepening, ever-widening, personal, intimate knowledge of Christ. That's it. Outline. It's very simple. It looks like this. We're going to see Paul's present race, his future goal or his future finish line, and then his encouragement to us to run the same race. That's what I want for us today. Either get in the race or keep running the race. Text is actually closely connected to what we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, which is why I reviewed it. Two weeks ago, Paul said, Jesus has to be the only thing on your resume. If you are counting, listen to me this morning, if you are counting on anything else to make you acceptable to God, you are in big trouble because you have added to the gospel and you have made Jesus of no value. You've made him irrelevant. That's what, that's what Paul told the Galatians. Remember that? If you add anything, the law of Moses included, to salvation, you have made him of no value. Last week, Paul said, Jesus is to be the only thing on your religious balance sheet. Everything else needs to be moved to the debit side. And everything else needs to be moved to the law side. Count it as loss. List everything in the world, doesn't matter what it is. Everything in the universe. Put it on one side, put Jesus on the other side, Jesus wins. Today, Paul says, I only have one thing. One thing on my bucket list. And that is to know Christ fully. And everything that I do, whether it's yesterday or today or even tomorrow, is toward that singular goal. I want to know Jesus. Look at his current, uh, present race in verses 12 and 13. He actually starts with a Greek idiom in verse 12, and it's, it's important that I point that out because those words, not that, were a very specific way of saying this. I don't want you to misunderstand what I've just said, okay? I don't want you to think for a moment that I have already obtained all or everything that I have been talking about. What has he been talking about? Knowing Jesus. I have counted all things as loss for the, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have suffered the loss of everything so that I may gain Christ. I want to be found in him. I want to be found in his righteousness. Listen, I don't want a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law. That would never work anyway. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know Jesus' life. I want to experience Jesus' life. I want to be conformed to his death so that I might be able to attain to resurrection from among the dead. This is what I want more than anything in the world. But I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to think for a minute that I've achieved that. I've obtained that. Paul says, I haven't. Paul was under no illusion that he had grown enough, matured enough, so that he obtained enough so that he could put life, his spiritual life, on autopilot. You know people like that. They're just kind of sliding along. 
You never get to the point where you can go kind of on to go take this spiritual cruise. He understood this goal of knowing Jesus is a lifelong process. You never stop, even if you're 91. Listen, as we grow in the things of Christ and grow to know him more intimately, we never fully arrive in this life. Knowing Jesus, and by the way, knowing Jesus through his cross becomes bigger and bigger, not smaller and smaller. We never grow beyond our need of the cross and repentance and forgiveness. We can never go on a spiritual cruise, all right? Listen, you want to sign up, go with Charles Stanley, go do that somewhere. I just wanted to remind you what's happened in the last few cruises. <laughs> you know what happens to the indoor plumbing? Stagnation sets in. That's the point. Paul says, I don't want you to think I've arrived. I haven't. And I won't until sometime in the future. One author said it this way, and I really like this. As we grow in our knowledge and intimacy with Christ, we enter into a cycle of humble dissatisfaction. What does that mean? A cycle of humble dissatisfaction. We get more of Christ and we're satisfied and then we're humbly dissatisfied and then we get more and more of Christ and then we get dissatisfied and we always want more and more of him until we come to know him in all of his fullness. Put that on autopilot and see how that works for you. Some of you have not grown a lick for weeks or months or even years because you haven't tried to grow in the things of Christ. Paul's concern is they don't think that he's arrived, that he's reached some level of perfection that he's not achieved. Now, that word perfection could be, probably should be translated maturity. The idea, though, is once I've grown to full maturity, I will have reached a state of perfection. I'm not there yet, which is very interesting to me because there are groups that teach that you can reach some state of sinless perfection, nonsense. Think about it. This guy, the Apostle Paul, who had been walking with Jesus for 25 plus years, maybe 30 years, he had learned directly from Jesus himself. I mean, he'd written half the New Testament. He was transported to and given a vision of heaven that he was, it was so grand, he wasn't even allowed to write about it. God gave him a thorn in the flesh just to keep him humble. This guy was the missionary to the Gentiles. He started churches all over the place. He says, I want you to understand something. I have not arrived. I have not reached some level of maturity or perfection. I mean, come on, if anybody could say that, Paul could. I've not reached a level of maturity where I can say I've grown as much as I can. Know all there is to know about Jesus. After all, I wrote it. Uh, I've not already obtained. There's actually no object uh, of the word there. The, the word it is in the italics. It means it's not actually there. I've not obtained. And we rightly assert he's referring to everything that he's talking about. This full future knowledge of Jesus. I'm not there yet. I've not obtained it. It's a lifelong process. In fact, he says, because of that, I press on. And that's in the present tense, which means I keep on pressing on. I never stop. I never rest. I never stop. I keep pressing on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's weird. 
Especially when you realize that those words carry a slight indication of violence. The word laid hold of. He says there, I want to seize Christ violently the way that Christ seized me. He's saying there, Jesus grabbed me 25 plus years ago when I was persecuting the church. I was on the road to Damascus. I had no interest in Jesus except to oppose him, and he seized me. He reached down, knocked me down, grabbed me by the scuff of the neck, and said, enough is enough. He arrested me. He seized my life for his glory and his purposes. And he began the work in me that will continue until, continue until he's done when I fully reflect his image, when I fully know him. Until then, I press on. Because there's nothing that's more important to me than that, to grab Jesus the same way he's grabbed me. Do you think for a moment that you've grabbed Jesus the same way he's grabbed you? Then why are you resting? Verse 13 says it again, making sure we get it, because I have not yet laid hold of it. I, I've not yet arrived. This is a lifelong pursuit, but this one thing I do. There's one thing on my bucket list. Again, notice the words I do are in the italics, meaning they aren't in the original language. Remember, he is actually dictating this letter, and he gets to this point. It's actually an elliptical sentence. We have to supply the words to make sense of it. Literally, Paul, he's, he's dictating, he just exclaims, but one thing, everything else fades into the background. There is one thing that is important to me. There is one thing that I do. There is one thing on my bucket list. There is one thing that is the focus of my vision. There is one thing that is my goal. There is only one thing that matters. Here's my question for you this morning. What is your one thing? How would you complete the elliptical exclamation? One thing. For Paul... It was knowing Jesus. That's it. He wanted to know Christ in his fullness, which he knows he will not do until Christ comes back or he goes to be with him. It's what he meant in verse 11, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He doesn't mean by that, I just don't want my body to return to dust. Who cares? I don't just want my body, uh, worms to have my way with have their way with my body? Who cares? I don't want to just cease to exist. I want eternal life. To what end? You just want to float around on clouds? That I may know Christ in his fullness. That's it for me. Until then, I pursue. Present tense. I will never give up. I will not stop. Why are you resting? So important is this to me that I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. Now, now I know, I keep asking, you know, why are you resting? Why aren't you pursuing? Why aren't you? Listen, we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about growing in the things of Christ, okay? 
I forget what lies behind. I, pre- I reach forward to what lies ahead. He, he uses past, present, and future. I forget the past. I press on in the present, and I reach for what lies ahead. This is that race language. Every runner knows, especially as you approach the finish line, that you keep your eyes focused on the goal, singly focused on the finish line. You don't look around to see your other competitors. You don't glance back to see who might be gaining on you. You don't look at the adoring crowds who are cheering and chanting your name. You don't even look at your coach to do so as to lose focus and vision. So you keep your eyes fixed firmly on the finish line. And with every ounce of energy, you strain forward to the line. You hold nothing back. Winning or losing is at stake. It's when you take your eyes off the finish line, you trip, you slow down, you lose. Why are you resting? Here Paul says, I forget what lies behind. He could be talking about that list of accomplishments that we looked at in verses 5 and 6, but he's already called that rubbish. He's probably talking about everything he's done since then for the cause of Christ. That list that I gave a few minutes ago. I mean, think about it. Come on. Paul's on the cover of of who's who of evangelical leaders. He's the guy. If anyone had the right to sit back, take it easy, rest on his accomplishments, it was Paul. He'd run hard. He'd done much for the church. He had suffered much. Read 2 Corinthians 11. Certainly, if anybody could coast, I mean, he's so far out in front of us. If anybody could coast to the finish, it was Paul. But he says, I don't even consider yesterday, let alone last year. I've got one goal in mind, and that's what I keep my eyes fixed upon. Nothing else matters. So why are you resting? We remember the words of, the, uh, of Hebrews chapter 12, using again that race language. The author says it this way, therefore, in light of chapter 11, where we see all of these other runners who have run well, since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those who have already successfully run the race, let us lay aside, what? Every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. Hey, Lay aside sin, okay, we kind of get that, but that's not all he says. He he says, lay aside every encumbrance. What's that? That's not necessarily sin. That's every distraction that could keep us from running the race well, even past successes. You focus on that, the race is going this way, you're not going to make it. Let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. And those words seem to indicate that there's a specific race that's marked out for you. Fixing our eyes on the finish line, his name's Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Yeah, he suffered some, despising the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you, when you face such hostility, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep your eyes focused, fixed firmly on Jesus. And when you suffer like he suffered, you say, that's okay. I'm learning about Christ. Paul did not look back lest it diminish his focus, distract his attention, and lull him into complacency and indifference. Let me say that again. 
And I want you to ask yourself the question, does this describe me? He did not look back lest it diminish his focus, distract his attention, or lull him into complacency and indifference. I reach forward with everything I've got to what lies ahead, like the runner approaching the finish line, straining to reach it. That's the one thing that I do. That's what I lay myself out for. And what is this for which I'm reaching? Point two, Paul's goal, his finish line, which, by the way, is to be our finish line as well. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lots of words there that he piles on. Break it down. I press on toward the goal. That's the finish. That's what lies ahead. And, and, and the prize of the upward call of God. Now, we're talking about race language here. And the prize of runners in the games then were maybe, it was, it was maybe a laurel wreath or maybe even made out of celery. Oh, boy. Um, he says, I'm running a different... I'm running a, a different race. I'm running for a different prize. Not a wreath that fades, but the upward call of God. Lots of discussion about what that means, but given the context of everything that he's talked about, listen, this heavenward call, this upward call is simply knowing Christ, gaining Christ, and being found in him. It is the full and complete gaining of Christ for whose sake Paul has suffered the loss of all things. But he says, you know what? I think it's a good trade. Because for Paul, the greatest reward in the race was to know Christ fully and to experience perfect, intimate fellowship with him. That was it. That's my goal. There's one thing on my list. I got nothing else. Which brings us to the last point, Paul's encouraging advice to us. Right here, other runners. Look at verse 15 and 16. Let us therefore... As, as many as are perfect, that means as many of us as are pursuing maturity have this same attitude. What attitude? The, the one that I just shared in my personal testimony. I want you to have the same attitude. I want you to pursue the same course. I want you to run the same race with the same passion and the same goal in mind. You see, here's the point. Mature people don't think that they're perfect. Mature people don't think they've arrived. Mature people refuse themselves even a satisfied glance backward to past spiritual attainments. Mature people press ahead with a singular goal of gaining Christ, have the same attitude. Amen. I want to remind you of what I told you that my goal was for us this morning, to add to your bucket list one item, and to place it at the very top. One thing, one thing, the passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus that never stops. And if in anything you have a different list, a different attitude, well, God will reveal that to you also. Different list. My prayer is, Paul says, that God will make this clear to you. Verse 16, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Listen, we are, we're, we're in the race. We're, 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 we're growing toward maturity. Don't slip back. Don't glance around. Don't quit running. Why are you resting? Let's keep living. Let's keep running the race to the point that we are and keep pursuing Christ. Some people, 
see their initial salvation, you know, when they were saved as the apex of spiritual life. That is just the beginning. Knowing Christ, growing in Christ is a lifetime adventure. So, what is the one thing for you this morning? What is on the very top of your list? I need you to listen. Maybe you are here this morning and you'd say, I've never actually entered the race, Scott. I've never really given my life to Christ. But I'd sure like to. Because my life is a mess and I realize that I need God. I need Jesus. I want to invite you today to be seized by Christ and join us in the journey of pursuing him. It's really worth it. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I'm in the race. I began it some time ago, but I've not been running very well. I know Jesus, but I've not been pursuing him. I've been distracted by other stuff. Sin, maybe. Or, or, Or maybe those encumbrances, those good things, those cares of life have taken the priority for me. I've been on autopilot, and I need to reprioritize my life. I need to get Jesus back on the top of the list. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and make their way to the front. And I'm going to ask the elders and their wives if they would come and join me here at the front uh, as well. Go ahead and do that right now. In fact, why don't you go ahead and stand up. Everybody just stand up. I want to I give you an opportunity this morning to do some very serious business with Christ. Some of you maybe are here this morning and you say, I don't know Christ, but I'd like to know him. I, I want to invite you uh, today to come and, and maybe uh, talk to somebody about that. We, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, maybe you'd say, I know Christ, but I've not been running very well. In fact, I've been doing a lot of resting. I've been doing a lot of tripping. I've been entangled by things I should not be entangled by. But I really want to commit to pursuing Christ passionately with everything that I have. We're going to sing here in a minute. and You can stay there and pray where you are. You can pray with the person next to you, or you can come and pray with uh, one of these couples. We would love the opportunity to do that. Whatever your need is, I, I, I want you to, to do some serious business with Christ. Father, um, you have given us everything in, 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 in your son. And, and he has made salvation available to us through his perfect race. (laughs) And we've run rather imperfectly. We've run rather sinfully. And we need to be reminded today that Christ is everything to us. Forgive us for taking our eyes off of him. Forgive us for pursuing other things, making other things more important. Help us to pursue Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.